Hello, it's so lovely to have you back. This is a brand new episode of the Sleep Mums A to Z's, where sleep is not a four-letter word. In this series, we talk to people and experts to help shed light on the long nights and small years of parenthood, because a good night's sleep can come from loads of different places. I'm Kat Cuby, journalist, broadcaster and short-ass, and this is Sarah Carpenter, paediatric sleep consultant, baby and child expert and highfalutin Norland nanny. <laughs> It's been a long time since it's fitted into my Norland uniform. I that now. <laughs> does that what does that make you feel more posh? Well, wearing the uniform. Of yeah. Course. I mean, I love the uniform. <laughs> Do, does your, you know how some people have a telephone voice? Do you sound different when you wear your uniform? <laughs> I think I probably do. As soon as I've got that bowler hat on, I'm like, oh, I God. want you to. Can the next time I see you, can you wear your hat? Sure. That sounds a bit kinky for some reason. <laughs> Together, we are the Sleep Mums. This week, we're joined by Samantha Tannock, midwife and tongue tie specialist. Hello, and thank you for coming on the show. It's so lovely to have you. Oh, thank you for yeah, having me on. Yeah, it's brilliant to talk to you both. As you may have heard me mention in the podcast, so my daughter had undiagnosed tongue tie until around nine weeks and that caused loads of feeding and weight issues for us. It was it was a scary and it was a stressful time. I wrote a column in the paper about it and it remains a piece of writing that I've had the most messages and emails about over the years. I mean, even five years later, I still get people getting in contact with me thanking for the piece and also asking for advice. So talking about tongue tie on the podcast was important to me because in a, it remains something that's still kind of unknown, I think, even though there it can be quite high incidence. So Samantha, how did you come to specialise in tongue ties? I know you're a midwife, a registered nurse, you're a mama to two yourself, but how did you become so passionate about it? I'm just po- passionate about the postnatal period and infant feeding. So obviously I was a midwife, did my midwifery degree. The degree focuses very much so on normality. So the idea of tongue ties and the way they impact infant feeding isn't really touched upon. So it was only right. when I went into the community, like as um, like a newly qualified um, community midwife, that I saw you know, that there was other avenues and other issues that can affect breastfeeding and bottle feeding as well. Um, And that's when I stumbled across tongue tie and the whole like issue of it and the fact that we're not really very aware of it as maybe health professionals and midwives, health visitors. It's just, yeah, we're, we're not very aware of it. And so I just decided from that point on that I was interested in it. Um, and I realised there was a procedure that could rectify it um, because obviously you're encountering the mums who are actually having that procedure done. Um, and there are NHS tongue tie clinics and private practitioners as well. And um, I just put myself on the waiting list. So I trained in Southampton and that was a three-year waiting list. So it's one of those waiting lists where I kind of forgot that I was on it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, three-year waiting list trained um unfortunately at the time the trust I was working at they didn't really provide a tongue-tie clinic so they didn't need my skills so I then decided to obviously set up private practice because you can imagine it's a skill that if you don't use it a lot (laughs) you need that confidence but the trust I'm at now um they do have an NHS clinic so I do that ad hoc as well um but yeah it's just it's one of those things where the first time that I saw the procedure done and I saw the release done it just made me think wow, the immediate impact and the way the mum just kind of like relaxed, her shoulders eased, 
it just wasn't as painful and yeah I just thought that can make such a big impact it's not always that sudden don't get me wrong the change um but usually after you know a few days a couple of weeks that you really notice that difference for the mum and the baby um and sometimes the whole family because like you know you guys know little like other issues can impact on sleep the mental health of the family you know so yeah all of these things can improve so yeah that's that's just there So I think maybe we should kind of go back to the start. So I'd read about cluster feeding. So when my daughter was endlessly feeding, I thought it must be that. Or maybe it's a growth spurt or a developmental leap or it's colic or it's reflux or maybe she just hated me. (laughs) It was like it was definitely one of those things or perhaps it was all of them. And because she was my first baby, I also didn't know maybe it was like meant to be like that. So we struggled on for weeks and weeks and she still wasn't back to her birth weight. And I hadn't slept for much more than a consecutive hour. But it still took about another four weeks for her to be diagnosed with a submucosal tongue tie. Like I wish I'd known more about tongue tie. So I think maybe let's go back to the start and say what actually is a tongue tie? Because people, lots of people don't know. Yeah, I mean, so you've hit on so many of the symptoms that other mums talk about there, just literally, and you're just kind of sitting there, just experience them all, you just tick them off. <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, going back to it, like you said, it's basically, we all have a frenulum, that stringy bit under our tongue, um, and it's completely normal to have one. It's just if it's a bit too short, thick or tight, then it can affect the way that we move our tongue. So um, basically, when a baby is breastfeeding, they need to be able to open their mouth really wide to go onto the breast and then lift their tongue free from the floor of the mouth and do a lovely wave motion so you can imagine that if anywhere along that tongue it's pinned down too tightly to the floor of the mouth it will affect the way that wave motion occurs so therefore if you cut that area and free the tongue the mobility is improved so like I said it is completely normal to have a frenulum you can't so some people say oh I'm tongue-tied but it doesn't affect me but then you're not tongue-tied you're only tongue-tied if if it's causing a problem do you see what I mean otherwise it's just an obvious frenulum so you could have a frenulum right to the tip of your tongue but if it's stretchy enough and supple enough to allow you to do everything you need to with your tongue and for an adult that would be speaking and eating properly it's absolutely fine do you see what I mean so it's kind of sometimes it's not just the appearance it's the function of the tongue as well that we're going on as practitioners so it's quite interesting. So um, sort of when we'd kind of gone through all this, you know, my brother was like, well, I think I have that. I, you know, um, I can't, he can't lick an ice cream, so he can't stick his tongue out far enough. But my mum did breastfeed him and didn't have any issues. Mm-hmm. And then actually my son has a vet, like he could, it's, it's tight in terms of how he sticks his tongue out, but we had no problems breastfeeding either. And so it's quite interesting that you say that in terms of that's not a tongue tie because they're still able to do yeah. what they need to do essentially yeah that's it so aesthetically it will look like you know as though there is something there or there's something hindering the movement but actually if you can do everything that you're meant to it's absolutely fine often you do get adults saying you know they can't like lick an ice that is that reduced movement and maybe they would feel more comfortable if it was free so sometimes in adults there's research going on around neck pain migraines sometimes orthodontic problems um receded jaw lines they are issues that can be caused by an unreleased tie. Um, but obviously, from my perspective, um, we're kind of looking at it from an infant feeding point of view. Um, and yeah. the infant feeding, whether that's bottle feeding or breastfeeding, um, but definitely as an adult, it can cause issues. But yeah, it's definitely more about the function of the tongue rather than the appearance. Yeah. 
And so there are slightly different types, aren't there? That's right. Yeah. So when I was talking about that wave motion, so um, you've got posterior, which is which means towards the back, and you've got anterior, mm-hmm. which means towards the front. So front and back. And you mentioned submucosal before, so that would be the very back of a posterior tide. You see what I mean? So it's the furthest back that you can get. Um, so if you imagine, you could think of it with your arm. So if you held your arm outwards and the tip of your fingers would be an anterior tie if it was connected to there and your elbow would be kind of like, <laughs> yeah, your elbow would be the back of the tie. I know this is a podcast, but I am, I'm doing what Samantha tells me. She's, she's that kind of person. <laughs> so literally, so you kind of want them to do the whole wave motion. So from the, like from the back of the elbow to the fingertips, that's what you'd want to be doing the wave motion. So a posterior, tie means that imagine kind of from you know just from the elbow midway up your arm that can't move very well so that's posteriorly tied the back of the tongue is tied and anterior tie means it's tied all the way to the tips so right to your fingers anywhere from that 50% mark where we we're saying the posterior comes to to the front so if you're you've got the yeah you've got the back part which is posterior the front part anterior if you've got a baby who's got that anterior tie, it's going to be much more obvious to healthcare professionals because it's like, oh, I can yeah. see that. And that will affect bottle feeding and breastfeeding, in my experience. I don't know if there's any studied, like, you know, published paperwork on that or studies or anything. Yeah. But in my experience, they're the ones that they're very obvious to healthcare professionals and they're the ones that will be affecting breastfeeding and bottle feeding. The one where it's just towards the back, that will be missed by a lot of people um, because it's not obvious. and You can't really see it there, but you will notice that potentially your baby isn't flitting their tongue out as much or raising it as much when they cry. Um, And that one will affect more the uh, breastfeeding than the bottle feeding. So posterior affecting the breastfeeding, anterior bottle feeding and breastfeeding more so, I would say, from my experience. Um, But yeah, it kind of is a case of just you know, removing all of it. If you've got an anterior tie on your baby, it's got a posterior aspect. So it all needs to go. So there's no difference in the way the procedure is done. Um, It's just a way of classifying them and for parents to understand really. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's a way to, you move the tongue. So the, the, when you bottle feed, just the front part of the tongue is flapping. When they breastfeed, the whole of the tongue is needed. And that's why different tires affect the movement differently. That is so interesting. I never knew any of I mean I knew bits of that but the way you've described it is so understandable and also something that I'd always kind of wondered is why are some why do some some get fine so so quickly and people are like oh yeah that you know healthcare professionals and why are why do some take so long and I didn't actually really hadn't really thought it through in the way you've just described it so thank you that's all right and I think it comes down as well like we were saying if you're not aware of it as well you're just kind of, you know, as a healthcare professional, like I said, I was a midwife, went out there, three-year degree, you go out there, and you're just not aware of these things. And then also, if it's not visible, you know, if it's not a visible tie, and you're you're looking in the baby's mouth thinking, well, I don't know, mum's got milk, the nipples seem okay, everything seems okay, why is the baby not latching? It's only if it is an obvious one that it will be flagged. So yeah, definitely, that is, yeah, part of parental frustration is what you just said then, definitely. You're obviously a midwife, but there does seem to be a lot of misinformation amongst healthcare professionals. So, you know, how difficult is it to tell if a baby has tongue tie? You know, you've obviously gone on and done extra training, but for your standard midwives, what sort of support are they getting? Yeah. Like, what are the signs that parents could look for, or, or healthcare professionals, I guess, too, if, if they haven't had the training? I think a few symptoms to look for in baby would be prolonged feeding. So 
it could be prolonged or frequent feeding. So being at the breast quite a long time with bottle feeding babies, it might be the fact that they're taking ages to finish a bottle. So you'd be sitting there giving the baby the bottle and then you think, right, okay, you know, they've been there on, the, on it for like 20 minutes sucking the bottle. You take it out and they've maybe removed about 10 mils of, of, of milk from the bottle. That would be a sign that the feeding's getting a little bit too difficult. They're not moving their tongue properly. They may be compressing the teeth with their jaws and their gums. So they're blocking the flow as they're trying to suck. Um, so that prolonged feeding with a bottle feeder as well, they might be dribbling, excess, dribbling sorry, excessively from the side of their mouth. So they're spilling quite a lot of um, either formula or breast milk. And when you've sat there expressing all that time... And they're just dribbling it out. So, you know, if you're really having to mop up quite a lot of milk, that means they haven't got a good seal on the bottle. Again, even with the breastfeeding, they might not seal off the breast properly because they've got quite a shallow latch. And that means that, the you know, the underneath of the bra or what you're wearing can be quite wet because the baby's just spilling from the side of the mouth, especially if mum has a good breast milk supply. Um, clicking, like if so it is a real audible kind of sound on the bottle or the breast, it's quite repetitive. Some babies do click and that's absolutely fine. But again, it's pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. If you've got quite a lot of these things, how you, you know, you were reeling them off at the start of the of the podcast, yeah. you start to think there's an issue here. So one or two of these, maybe not a problem. It can be positioning and attachment that needs addressing or maybe changing the bottle teats. But otherwise you'd be thinking, oh, there's a bit of an issue. Um, obviously, breastfeeding wise, if it's painful feeding, um you know they've got kind of compression um starting to get like really sore nipples um the baby goes on is quite frustrated slips onto the nipple that's a sign that there's maybe a latching and attachment issue the baby's not staying there um windiness or reflux type symptoms or colic symptoms these are all things that very much overlap so sometimes I'll see babies they've been diagnosed by GP with um, reflux they're medicated but actually there is a tongue restriction and that is causing a shallow latch and the baby taking air throughout the feed um, and then that air later on is presenting as like colic type symptoms or the baby's positing so bringing up the liquid on top when they're trying to bring up the air that they've accumulated um, so yeah I'm trying to think what else um, Sarah and I are very passionate about about wind and winding and techniques but that's totally what happened to my like she ended up on reflux meds which you know we ended up with the problems that often these medications yeah. can create and none of the benefits so it was really frustrating no new new parents want to start medicating their baby it seems so fresh and so it's like you just want to you want to keep them that way you don't want to give them any medicine and you are very aware of side effects and everything so yeah I totally understand so if you can kind of get rid of these symptoms just at the root cause um, and then if they do continue, then you think, well, yeah, potentially there is real acid reflux there. That is really a problem. Um, but otherwise, if you can kind of get rid of things much more, you know, in a low risk way, then I'd say that's probably the way forward. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that parents could look for, maybe coughing or choking on the bottle where they're not able to control the flow of the milk from the bottle. Um, falling asleep at the breast, but not from satisfaction, more from being exhausted. So, um, a baby who's tongue-tied will be on the boob for maybe half an hour, probably even longer, but say half an hour, and then, you know, they're only really getting 15, 20 minutes of milk transfer compared to a non-tongue-tied baby. So you think, right, okay, you're done, you put them down, and then maybe 10, 15 minutes later, this baby's giving you feeding cues again because they suddenly remember, actually, I'm not done, and they've got their second bout of energy, and it's just because they're working mm-hmm. so hard at the breast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Sarah and I have spoken about that before as well. You know, I, I she never had that milk drunk thing that people yeah. spoke about. Um, and, you know, sort of it was so amazing when I had my son and I was like, oh, that's what everyone was talking about, you yeah, know, because I just it. felt like I'd never really seen it. 
No, that's it. And and, and also when you're talking about the weight gain as well, so that can be like a red flag. Yeah. So either excessive weight loss, you know, that day five weigh in, um, if there's like more than that 10% loss, but you feel like yeah. you've been giving it all, you are feeding a lot and it's, you know, it's, that's, it's not really working. Then you'd maybe look into, you know, thinking, is there a problem with the tongue function? Is there a tongue tie there? And also sometimes with the posterior ties, so those hidden ties that are more back towards the back of the tongue, you'd be thinking they you'd be thinking they flag usually around I see a lot of them around 10 12 weeks of age for the baby because mum will especially if they're breastfeeding so mum will be doing really well the hormones will be compensating sometimes babies with a tongue tied are paired with a ba- mum with a really good milk supply so it kind of masks the issue because yeah. the baby can kind of sit there just catching the milk in a way not working very hard yeah. but once those hormones subside a little bit and it usually is around three months and the baby has to kind of work harder you start to see you know the growth charts in the red book you start to see these babies drop, dropping their centiles um, or plateauing a little bit and it's like why is that happening and then you look and you think it's a posterior tie that's been masked all of this time so yeah that's when they're flagged up that's when they're kind of found that's that's also so interesting um, my daughter went from 50th to second yeah. um but like um she it was missed because I think one of the weigh-ins um they couldn't believe she dropped that much and so they and then they put something that, like it just got missed put in in the book oh, like the, sorry the conversion got mis- right. miswritten and so therefore it was missed right. that she dropped so much so that's also why it took so long for it to be kind of picked up but then I guess actually what you're yeah. saying is that you know nine weeks that's kind of more common when it is a is one that's further back so that's really interesting yeah 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 definitely um but yeah there's there's lots of there's lots of like symptoms that are all like I say part of that jigsaw puzzle that when I'm going to do an assessment it's it's putting all those pieces together and just in just recognizing that yeah there is a real problem with this tongue function the way the baby is removing the milk um and sometimes it can be something as well just like you know you're looking at mum and baby together so it's not just the baby who has the symptoms it is the mum as well so it might be the fact that this baby not removing the milk makes you have engorgement and mastitis because you're being stimulated you know you've got this baby to feed um but the removal just isn't <laughs> happening and you might have quite a supply so you end up getting those blockages but milk ducts um yeah can cause quite a lot of issues and again it can make you go, can go the opposite way where you don't have a good milk supply because the baby isn't removing the milk so you're not having that feedback sense so that the body isn't supplying because there's no demand yeah. so then you have a decreased milk supply so and you're starting to have them to top up um and express and it's just you're throwing everything at the baby then it's like and it's really hard work doing three forms of feeding expressing um formula feeding and then having to breastfeed as well it's just really Best. hard work you know anyone who's tried to do that especially if you've got other little ones to look after some people can be quite flippant about about tongue tie you know how do you deal with that and <laughs> you know, how serious is it it's quite frustrating isn't it when you encounter people like that sometimes um people haven't heard of tongue tie so that's and that's absolutely fine because if it's it, sometimes it is genetic so it runs in the family um and it's just something that people are aware of and again it may be that back it kind of you know 
40 years ago so if it was like um you know the mum the nan was fed that her children fine and blah blah but that could be because it was her third or fourth child and also we weaned much earlier then maybe potentially so it's kind of you can just think well I don't have to breastfeed for so long I can wean them kind of thing um but yeah so you have got some you know that notion of well it's kind of you just deal with it that's that's that you just get on with it um there's an unawareness about tongue tie it's just not heard about it's not really spoken about and I suppose not so much with my NHS hat on, um, but with private practitioner hat, I think a lot of there is can be that thing of is it just something that's done for profit? Um, but I think if you've had a tongue tie baby um, and you've had the tie released and you've seen the benefits of that release, you really realise that it's not a fad or it's not something that's just um, a novelty or something that's new either. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I've done... Sorry, no, I was just going to say, like, we've already kind of touched, I guess, in terms of the seriousness, like, about, you know, those big weight drops, um, that's obviously impacting baby. And if you, you know, if you're, if it's, if you're not aware of it, that is pretty serious, I guess, Um, you know, certainly in terms of parents, mental health, either because you're, you know, you're trying to feed in one particular way, and it's not working right, just anything, just the stress of that. And then also, I guess, the kind of sleep deprivation, which is when, you know, we we get passionate about because, um, because baby needs fed so much, and they aren't getting that kind of full feed, which Sarah and I talk about a lot too, so that they're up throughout the night. Mm -hmm. Um, So those things are serious. And, And I guess, ultimately, even though once you start weaning it the, these are the less serious things like not being able to eat ice cream and stuff but perhaps you've you've kind of mentioned some of the more serious things in terms like in later life that it might affect you you know in terms of jaw pain or yeah and I think probably in this country so our National Institute of Clinical Excellence focuses very much on tongue-tied division um, and the procedure of dividing it as um, is it going to improve the infant feeding but over in America there's a lot of studies talking about the whole the way that you know what's going on in the mouth affects the whole body um you know it's I don't know is that old thing of like you know if you're trying to balance potentially you'll put your tongue to the roof of your mouth yeah um like if you are trying to but you know like some people horse ride or they um are a gymnast or something like that anything that control you know you need to control your body a little bit you'll put the tongue to the roof of your mouth so not being able to do that can affect your core stability Mm -hmm. um the alignment of the spine there's research going into that and how potentially if even if there is a tie and we're missing them earlier in life it's it is affecting adults in the way that they're living their lives and the impacts um but I think yeah I mean more widely known of the fact that you've got the overcrowding with the teeth and that we've spoken about um and the migraines that's more you know what we know about here because dentists will divide for adults you know over in the UK for that reason but in America it's very much that holistic approach that if you divide the tie you're preventing things in adult life um whereas I think it's just because it's a different approach to our healthcare there um whereas I think you have to be very much kind of um, real evidence-based for it to be something that's applied to care for especially children in the UK so it's not just you know you don't want to divide something or do anything even if it's a low-risk procedure to a child if you know it's not definitely going to improve things right there and then you don't want to do it on the thing of oh well it might cause a problem in the future Um, but the problem is as a private practitioner I try to use much more of a holistic approach maybe but 
with my NHS hat on, it has to be it's improving the infant feeding. But I definitely think that there's going to be more research coming out and it shows that potentially improving, you know, I just think improving speech, improving eating, it's going to it's going to make a massive effect. And even just the way that a child can digest the food and where you move the food around in your mouth, it stimulates the gut and tells the gut that it's going to be having food soon. So if our tongue isn't moving properly, that peristaltic motion like the movement of the gut and the intestines it's not starting properly so it might not be causing a massive problem with the baby the baby's taking the milk from the breast but if it's not moving the tongue properly it can cause that gastrointestinal problems do you see what I mean so that could cause an acid reflux in a way it's just it's yeah there's much more yeah. research that needs to go into it <laughs> Well, that was what I found, like, anecdotally, you know, as you were sort of saying, there there was much higher instance and, mm. uh, or, you know, in terms of the, the parents yeah. that I was speaking to. But not only that, you know, the, um, the, the NHS, the tongue tie division near me had a four week waiting list for us. So mm. we went private because of that waiting yeah. list, which you would think that that would be a bit of a red flag to people yeah. going the, and the the woman that runs it is incredible, but she is stout, like, yeah. And she is a bit of a one woman band. Yeah, that's it. And it's just if you're passionate and you're aware of tongue tie, yeah. you're all for it, and you're just like, yeah, I need to just help as many women as possible. That's that's how it is. But yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of the clinics do have, you know, at least kind of you know a two week wait, or you have to go for a breastfeeding yeah. assessment, and then you're put on the waiting list for it, and which that can be quite frustrating. So uh, most clinics, I think, now are moving towards treating bottle fed and breastfed babies, but there are still some clinics out there that only treat breastfed babies. But it does cause a problem, as we've just spoken about, with bottle feeding. You know, there is evidence that you know you, you can improve the bottle feeding by releasing a tie. Um, but yeah, a four week waiting list, sometimes longer. Um, some of the clinics near me, they they're closed on a bank holiday, so therefore you know, because it's close, it, sorry, it works on a bank holiday. So then when there is a bank holiday, it's not open. So then you get even more of a, a backlog, um, especially <laughs> starting at this time of year, because we're getting all our bank holidays, some of bank holidays. But four to six weeks in the life of a baby is immense when you're trying to boost your milk supply um, or even if you're bottle feeding you're having issues with that because if the baby's spinning so much they're not really gaining weight you're thinking what else can I do um, it just it impacts on everything a four to six week wait for a baby is immense as an adult we can wait for treatment for something that long but as for a baby yeah you're right um, it's really it's a really long time and I think when we're pregnant as well we concentrate or maybe services as well are very concentrated on labour and but the postnatal period lasts for such a long time time and it mm-hmm. can impact us you know for quite a long time for our lifetimes you reflect on the decisions you make as a parent for quite a long, long time. time you know you can you can think back to something you decided last week think what's that right thing to do? even I've got a teenager now and I think was that the right thing did I tell him the right thing and you, you're always overthinking everything so infant feeding as soon as that baby's born they put in your arms you're just you just you just want to nourish them and when it's not going right it like you said it affects everything mental health that you know everything in the family it's just it's yeah it's quite I don't know like key to everything really I carry a lot of guilt from that period of time which I know is like um ridiculous in some ways because I don't know what I could have done differently but as you say you feel those things because you know once I got a diagnosis there was the weight and then I was referred to Mm -hmm. infant feeding and at that point Mm -hmm. I think like 
you know, because I had one of those timer things, I was feeding uh, about 18 hours a day. <laughs> um, and my daughter had still dropped that from the 50th to the second. Like, and I didn't really know that much about milk and feeding. And I wasn't given that much guidance, or, or at least a lot of the guidance I was given didn't really help. Like at one point, I was told to just feed from one side, which given that for me, actually, rather than having an oversupply, because of the issues, my supply had completely diminished so that was really bad advice for me but you know that's not I'm not throwing shade on the the midwife that gave it to me because but you know it is it is really hard um then through infant feeding I was loaned a hospital grade pump and encouraged to continue to feed India as I was as well as pumping eight to ten times a day twice during the night to top her up with my express milk or to use formula but I kind of I think I was a I was very intense about wanting to carry on this feeding journey and um, it was honestly it was one of the hardest things I've ever done and I know this is really common for tongue-tie mamas so like you know I I wish (laughs) I wish I'd met you or someone like you had who had all this knowledge and experience but how can tongue-tie be managed if you're not able to have division immediately or in the run-up to or if it's something you suspect what happens at a division Um, and um, how I was advised in terms of that like slightly insane pumping um, schedule is that still what's recommended sorry that's a lot of questions in one <laughs> maybe we should take them one by one <laughs> so management wise if you're waiting for a procedure to be done um, I would say so you want to concentrate on deep latch holds if you're breastfeeding so you want to go with the rugby ball um which is like holding like a rugby yeah. ball under the arm and putting them the breast you just want to get as much breast into their mouth as possible a baby with a tongue tie is not going to like that or be able mm-hmm. to achieve it very well so we want to help them so rugby ball holds a uh, flip or latch technique um to, that's the way to get it more in but like listeners can google that so flip or latch rugby hold what's um, flipple flipple so yeah flipple latch technique i'd never heard of that yeah and it's a way you kind of angle your nipple up in the air and then when you go to latch the baby on you let go of your nipple with your uh, thumb and then it yes it, it kind of goes into the baby's mouth and it's yeah. just a way to kind of get as much in there as possible i've done it but i didn't know it had a name <laughs> yeah i know a lot of moms are doing it and they don't realize it's got a name yeah um so that the koala hold as well sometimes some like a biological nursing positions where you lay back and you allow the baby to self-latch but if you're quite sore that can be a bit haphazard because you just really want to guide them yeah. on and just get the big mouth full of boob in so yeah the deep latch holds um sometimes as well as a kind of stop gap or temporary measure you could have some silicone soft silicone nipple shields um potentially because it might cut out the middleman if you've got quite a good supply it may then cut out the middleman having to express because mm-hmm. the baby can remove the milk without causing trauma and also a nipple shield is like a bottle as in the teat, the way the teat is. So um, if a baby's finding the breastfeeding difficult, it may find it easier to move the milk with the shield on the nipple. Do you see what I mean? So, I had a, a number of friends who used shields who had yeah. some ties and it worked for them. It, it didn't yeah. really work for us. No, yeah. And it just is something just to try, but that can help. And it can just be a temporary measure. You do then have to just bear in mind that most of the time the nipple shield isn't effective milk transfer all the time, unless you've got a really good supply, because there are some mums who will use them the, the whole breastfeeding career and that's fine but there usually are something that you want to wean the baby off of after the procedure but that's fine that's manageable um but yeah it's a kind of a case of yeah seeing how you go with nipple shields but they're always an option like I guess bottle feeding and also is this kind of crazy pumping still recommended I mean like I probably like that 
I look back and I would probably still do it again because I, I do think it helped, yeah. but it was very intense. Exactly. So it can help. I, I For me, um, again, in private practice, I have that option of being quite, I can tailor the care to what I think is going on with that family. So you yeah. might think that's going to add too much pressure. I put the options on the table and I say to the parents, you need to pick and choose what you think is going to be right, but you've got mm-hmm. these, these courses of action. But ultimately, the idea of that expressing is to maintain your supply. So very much so in an NHS clinic, maybe it's going to be a case of keeping that supply there because you want a supply for baby to return to once the tie is divided, okay? So that's the only yeah. reason you're going to be expressing because some mum will potentially think right well I'm going to give some formula now or I'm going to bottle feed throughout the night you want to ideally be expressing at night time at least a couple of times for those to really stimulate those milk making hormones the prolactin yeah. levels because they're highest then I have these memories of sitting in our bathroom in the at three in the night with oh. this machine and like yeah. shoveling like oats and like like flapjacks yeah. and stuff into my yeah. mouth all you're doing with the pumping, I would just say try to replicate what the baby would be doing if you can. That's the very best you can do. If not, just try and pump regularly when you can just to keep maintain that supply for when baby returns to the breast because you don't want to have a tie divided and then you have don't don't have any milk supply. Well, not that you're going to have no supply, but you don't want to minimize your supply because then what happens is you have a baby who's got this lovely released tongue, you put them to the breast, but they're actually then frustrated because there's not that milk flow that they're used to from a bottle. So it's just kind of getting that balance. But if if it's going to affect your you know your sleep or your mental health potentially you just ease back a little bit there'll be some mums who are gung-ho and they're like yeah I'm just going to throw everything at it and it might be they haven't only got to wait a few days for a release especially if yeah. they're going privately if it's going to be like that for four weeks you might think can I maintain this mm-hmm. what can I maintain and what's sensible that's what you have to think of I would say um, and obviously seeking good quality breastfeeding support is key as well while you're waiting for a division I would say um, that's that's going to be yeah dressing like to kind of like and maybe changing the bottle teats sometimes um if you're a bottle feeding um mum um with a baby who's got symptoms of a tie you might experiment with different tape shaped teats so quite often the more artificially shaped teats are better rather than the ones that try to be anatomically with set your bong um no, like that was breast. perfect <laughs> um if they find breastfeeding difficult and you then go for a teat that's like a boob or replicating that you're not really going to be helping your baby you want to go to a nice old-fashioned artificial shaped tea so yeah it's tweaking those things so holds breastfeeding support the nipple shields um maintaining your supply if you can mm. and maybe tweaking the bottle teats yeah and i think we've just got to as parents be kind to ourselves <laughs> that's that's one of the things as well totally um I think I weirdly feel guilty about that as well because I was very hard on myself. Yeah. And what happens at a division? Obviously, I have experienced it. Maybe, maybe I'll tell you what my husband said afterwards. <laughs> so, um, so it is a case of it's really similar whether you're in a clinic or it's a home setting but it would a case it would be a case of swaddling the baby just to keep their hands out of the way um you then need somebody just to hold baby's head so in a home setting that it might be one of the parents or an adult in the house mm-hmm. in a clinic setting you usually have like a healthcare assistant or somebody to do that it's up to parents if they want to be in the room obviously the head hold has to be but they don't need to look it's a very quick procedure um 
it's probably around 10 or 20 seconds that's it at the very most most of the time you're just waiting for the baby to lift their tongue in the right way and then you just stabilize it with your finger and then it is a case of just cutting that area that's a bit too short thick or tight it's a very quick cut so um, I'd liken the reaction of the baby to maybe a brief burning or stinging sensation most of the time they just don't like having fingers under their tongue because that's a really peculiar sensation even if you did it to yourself it's not normal and especially if it's very tight under there it's a stretching sensation that they're not going to like so usually they cry for the assessment just as much as they do for the procedure um but yeah so and it is a case of i do division with scissors that's the most traditional way and that's the way most practitioners in the uk do it um but it's just um a cut with those scissors obviously it's sterile single-use equipment that's always used for babies um and some practitioners do use a laser but i wouldn't know about that the way they do that but it can be done with a laser as well the division Mm -hmm. Um, but that's it's a little bit longer. That's the only thing I know about laser. But scissors, nice quick um, cut under the tongue. Um, you're sweeping under the tongue, making sure that all of that tie is gone. Um, and then a little bit of gauze, you know, like a cotton swab, sterile one, just popped under the tongue briefly just to absorb any blood that's there and put a little bit of pressure. Most of the time, you don't see much bleeding. Sometimes you do, and that's absolutely fine because you're going to expect it to bleed. It's a little cut. Um any bleeding that's there obviously it looks worse because it mixes with saliva in the mouth but as soon as it's done taking the gauze out of the baby's mouth um unswaddling baby and passing baby over to mum to feed okay um and you want baby to feed just because it's going to lower their blood pressure calm them down the flow of the milk from the breast of the bottle is going to kind of rinse away the taste of any blood um and obviously all of that is beneficial makes the parents feel better as well okay um that's one of the main things with it just the feed afters and calm down older babies sometimes they want to be carried and walked around um if they do have a dummy maybe they'll just have the dummy instead um but any bleeding lasts about five or ten minutes that's it um some babies mm-hmm. it does look a bit like strawberry milkshake a little bit when they're drinking from their bottle they're spilling a bit but the most important thing for parents to realize is you know it does take a little while usually about six minutes i think for human blood to clot so if you see blood don't worry it's just not normal when our newborn or our baby it's not a nice thing but um yeah a little bit of bleeding and then yeah, they're fine. Feeding straight away afterwards. I would say most babies, you don't really notice they've had anything done. The older they are, the more aware they are, though. So um, I'd say around three month mark, you tend to know they've had it done just because you might be able to the baby's incredibly fussy, um, which is usually the case when it's a tongue tied baby. But you might, you know, you might not be able to put them in their bouncer and do pot around a little bit in between feeds. They might be just a bit more clingy for a few days and unsettled. And what if that like exists for life? <laughs> Not that I'm talking about my daughter. <laughs> it's not the procedure that's caused that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So no, they, exactly. they can be a bit unsettled, but, you know, feeding straight away as normal. They kind of tend to sleep as normal. It's just practicing that new latch, especially with the breastfeeding, that I would say takes a bit of work. So a few days with the younger babies, up to a couple of weeks, so um, for older babies. Um, bottle feeding, usually the impact is more instantaneous because it's the bottle. We haven't got to re, you know, mum doesn't have to relearn her latching as well. You know, it's just normal pace bottle feeding that you'd be trying to do with the baby. So there's a quicker, I'd say the, the progression's a bit quicker with the bottle feeding. But with the breastfeeding, it can take a few days up to a couple of weeks to see an improvement with the feeding. Um, but yeah, um, most of the time it's, it's a, it is very quick. I know the thought of it as a parent, it's the anxiety. It's like, oh God. But most parents are just like, I'm really, that was done. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, and the babies are just, you know, you do hear more crying from a nappy change sometimes. <laughs> it happened exactly as you described I couldn't be in the room I was very very emotional and very sleep deprived at the time so so my husband was in the room and I sat outside and um you know it happened and he brought her to me immediately and and she did feed and I wouldn't say if we felt a, a 
completely immediate apart from the fact that I felt so relieved as you're saying that I'd been feeling very sick beforehand but he came and he was like if I'd known it was going to be that easy I'd have done it four weeks ago (laughs) with a pair of nail scissors I'm very glad he didn't and he was joking (laughs) but um it it did change things for us you know and I ended up feeding her until she was about 15 16 months and I'm I'm you know I'm it was a very tough start and I think I probably continued for longer because because of that tough start and so when it got good I was like oh I don't want to let this go Um, but um you know it it was such as you're talking about it was also such a relief for me because I did feel like I because I hadn't always been (laughs) taken seriously I did feel a bit like relief I think I felt relief from that point of view as well that this thing this thing that we thought it was, this has happened and it's helped. Amazing. And now yeah. we can kind of move on. Yeah. A lot of parents say, you know, when if you know, they just they don't want to have to have anything done to their baby, as we were discussing before, yeah. but they almost want not want there to be a tie there, but they want to know yeah. what's been happening, Definitely. what has been an issue. So they're just very much like, you know, I don't want to do something to the baby, but if this if this is a tongue tie and it's divided, it can improve things, then this is going to be brilliant, <laughs> you know. Um and I think it, you know, it's sometimes um I I do see families where I've done the division for like the first um baby and with the second one the parents are just like, Oh, we know yeah, it's like this fine. brilliant. <laughs> and, and quite often on the phone they're like, We can't wait for you to come round. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because they they just know that the reef it can bring but you know as much as we're talking about the improvement there is that risk that it doesn't improve things as well so that's important to acknowledge but yeah. sometimes for those parents it's a case of there is a, a, an issue with the tongue mobility but that's not the only thing um, and because the, ish, the the symptoms of a tie can be symptoms of other things as well, you know, like we were saying, like real acid reflux, um, it, it, you know, sometimes it doesn't always make um, the impact that you think it's going to make. It's just important to be aware of that as well. As a parent, when you're deciding to have something done, um, you don't want to pin all your hopes in it. But I would say. I think my statistic is about 92% there is an improvement in the feeding. That can be, yeah, it got a bit better to like life-changing. This yeah. is brilliant. But you have got that kind of 8% of parents who are like, well, nothing improves. Yeah. So it will never get worse after a procedure. It will just remain how it was or improve. But you've got that 8% who are like, no, it didn't really improve things. But then it is that you at least... I think from those parents, the feedback then is, well, at least they've tried it because otherwise it would have stayed in their head. They, they would have thought, well, there is a tie and we haven't addressed it. What if we don't have to give any medicine? At least now we know we do need to, you know, maybe start um, on some Gaviscon or something. So, yeah. And how common is it for the tongue tie to reattach after it's been cut? So for for my statistics, I would say it's probably 2 to 4% at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends how – so a tongue tie will never regrow. But it can, like you say, either partially or fully reattach. So if there's just partial reattachment, that doesn't matter because um, the, the tongue might still have good enough function and the feeding isn't, isn't impacted at all. That's fine. Um, but if it does reattach to a point where you're starting to get back those symptoms again, then it would need a repeat division. But it's not. it, it very much depends on the speed of the baby's healing. And, um, yeah, some babies are just genetically prone to heal very quickly, unfortunately. Um, and also, I would say, I don't think it reattaches more in the case of a bottle-fed baby, but potentially the frequency of the feeding can come um, can come into play. So, 
feeding the baby frequently every kind of three hours, four hours after the procedure's done, just so that you've got that lovely wave motion going on. Um, and obviously, like we were saying, with the breastfeeding, the baby is doing a, walk, a wave motion with the whole of the tongue. With the bottle feeding, they are flapping just the front part. So potentially, if the whole of the tongue has had to be divided, potentially that back part might nip back a little bit more if you are just choosing to give the bottle or needing to because you're resting your breast or nipples because they're sore. Um, so I would say just yeah it's difficult tongue games and tongue exercises are harder on newborns because the only thing they really want to do and when they're alert they're feeding so just regular feeding so um yeah I don't recommend any active wound massage or wound stretching to um you know to uh, to okay. reduce the risk of reattachment because I don't think there's any evidence that it really works there will be some practitioners who do believe there's evidence for active wound massage and that kind of it involves putting your fingers under the baby's tongue and massaging beside the wound and lifting it and some parents are completely comfortable to do it but others just aren't comfortable to do it um, and I just think of the risk of infection putting your fingers in baby's mouth um, but again in America it's a very very big thing to do that they'll buy the sterile gloves and they'll be doing it um, but there's sometimes you know you'll hear parents who've religiously done these exercises and it still reattaches so it could just be, like I say, it's just an exit. Some people heal very quickly. But, yeah, it's a low risk of it reattaching, though. So most of the time it's not even anything somebody has to consider. And if it's going to reattach, it happens in the first week or two. It's not something you have to think about for six months or be concerned about. The most important thing is just getting your breastfeeding technique back up to scratch um, or just kind of getting that baby used to the bottle again. Okay, now this final one might make you mad, as it used to make me a bit mad because I heard it so much and honestly, really from people who should know better. Uh, so I think I know the answer to this, but is tongue tie just a trend? No. no. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, I know when you're a parent, probably I'm trying to put my hat on and think of be like in your shoes for yeah. that. That that must be like no, I've tried everything. I'm doing everything. I've I've done my positioning. I'm I'm doing my expressing. I'm doing everything. This baby, you know, I'm still having all of these issues. So that's really frustrating as a parent to hear that. And I sometimes think maybe you might hear it from the older generation in your family. Sometimes they might be like, I, we didn't we dealt with it and stuff. But yeah, I mean, like we're saying, it's not it's not a fad. I think it's just something that you know, with higher bottle feeding rates in this country, um, you know, we're coming to a point where more mums are choosing maybe to breastfeed. Um, so therefore, tongue ties are coming to more to the front of, forefront of things just because when you can't breastfeed, um, particularly we're talking about breastfeeding here, you then mm -hmm. look up things on the internet. Yeah. We've got we've got search engines we can look, at, uh, look up things on. You know, maybe 40, 50 years ago, there wasn't that. You'd maybe see other mums on a school run and be able to talk about that. If you didn't have uh, other mums, uh, other friends who were mums, for example, you're very much on your own and you'd just be doing what the GP said. Um, you wouldn't have that infant feeding support um, or that kind of knowledge that we're getting from the internet now so there's a lack of awareness potentially then so I think now we've got more awareness um, more support out there for breastfeeding um, mums are more keen to breastfeed or parents as a whole are just more keen to breastfeed maybe the benefits of breast milk are more widely known um, and just even if you're having issues with bottle feeding you'd be thinking this isn't quite right why is the baby spilling quite a lot why have I got a really windy baby and we do try to look into things more rather than thinking well I'm going to be weaning the baby when they're three months old because of course we're thinking now six months that's when we're reading our babies um you know and you're thinking well I've got to deal with this for quite a long time yeah. it's not like well I'm going to be introducing baby rice <laughs> with some with some milk soon so you've got to put up with it for a bit longer so I don't think it's yeah. so much of a fad I think we're just more aware now um but like I say we're not so aware exactly. as to every parent being helped that quickly though so it's really weird 
we're aware of it um, as a society. And once you know yes. somebody's had a tongue-tied baby, you're like, yeah, you're hypersensitive to it. But it's really until it happens to you, you're like, you know, why isn't there more awareness about it? You know, you kind of a little bit incensed sometimes. Some parents are just like, you know, why is it this looked at in the hospital? And yeah, quite annoying. Is it is it true that midwives used to just have a long pinky nail and do it with their with their fingernail and so it, at birth or whatever? <laughs> yeah, I've read that as well. Just like literally, kind of. I think that would be that with really thin ones that are at the front. They might have yeah, that, a sharper nail, nice and hygienic. That <laughs> I know exactly. Um, but I guess that makes sense in terms of what you were saying as well about the kind of anterior and posterior and the other ones. You know that that maybe though maybe those ones were dealt with or you know earlier on but these other ones kind of fell by the wayside whether that was 40 or 50 years ago or now yeah that's it and it would be you know potentially if it is one more towards the back it wouldn't it wouldn't have been dealt with but also by the time you are a year old generally if you have got a restriction of that frenulum it um it stretches enough by the time you're a year old to to manage normal speech and you know eating solid foods it's absolutely fine like we said there's not you know I think the statistics there is one study at the moment I think saying one in seven people have a tongue tie but the one that I go by is the one in ten but there's not one in ten adults walking around with a speech problem or you know we are okay and that just shows that potentially it does you know it does stretch and we're okay generally but I think but I think that's maybe why there are kind of mixed opinions about it because I think people are a little bit like well it's probably gonna sort itself out so you know it's not an issue and there's elements of that in terms of reflux stuff I think as as well because Mm -hmm. babies tend to to grow out of, of those issues too but that completely diminishes the parenting experience um, which is so impactful on that relationship between baby and child and just let alone the mental health of the parents yeah definitely it's just it, it does it impacts on everything and I think to say well you know you know we're okay as adults that's just like well hang on what happens you know what happens in the middle bit <laughs> that's really difficult you want to nourish your baby as we were saying before you know we're told you know we're encouraged to breastfeed potentially um but then when there's a problem with it there isn't that proper support out there yeah. or there isn't that help with diagnosing um what the issue is or the root cause of of, of a feeding problem so yeah I mean it's it is something you know it, tongue tie has been around I mean it's, it's referenced in the bible I think there was a king louis of france it's documented in like ancient scripture that he had a division done um something about it being cut cut under the tongue with a blade right. so it's very much something that's been dealt with yeah. um for thousands of years it's just that you know we forget to we not get with the program people this is 2021 <laughs> like the trend wasn't for breastfeeding so we've kind of come out of that um and I think in Brazil as well it's actually a requirement for all babies to be checked for tongue tie um just right. because it's for you know for the health of the nation for babies to yeah. feeding um and there's an element of speech as well in some countries you need to roll the r's if you can't do that you, you know if your tongue is tied it's just it's approached very differently in different countries as well that is fascinating and I don't know why people still seem a bit tongue-tied about tongue-tie there's loads of information out there perhaps too much at times yeah it doesn't seem to have really filtered down to a lot of the people that matter obviously folk like Samantha are trying to change that but out of the breastfeeding group that I went to half of them had tongue-tie you could say well we were all just there because we were having problems so that's not a good sample but when it's such a high incidence it seems crazy that people still don't know what what it is 
And it's impossible to talk about tongue tie without talking about breastfeeding and formula feeding. And there are plenty of mums who don't want to breastfeed or for whom it's impossible or simply just not the right thing. But I've always sort of felt that that lack of understanding and support when it comes to tongue tie could be impacting mums who either start to breastfeed or would like to breastfeed but really struggle because of it and so that's why I think you know folk like Samantha and professionals like her are really really important and hopefully so is this podcast thank you so much to Samantha for coming on and giving us a history lesson never knew that in the bible (laughs) every day is a school day no thank you so much that was really really good Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been so interesting and informative. Um, And as I guessed at the start, I wish I could have met you five years ago. (laughs) If you have any questions about tongue tie, you'll find loads of great information on Samantha's Instagram at babytonguetie. And if you have any worries at all, please speak to a healthcare professional. They might be swamped, but help is out there. And so are people like Samantha. Look after yourselves and sleep soon oh thank you guys take care bye